0: Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. As you know, we just wrapped up season 3 of this podcast, which focused on the trial of the men who were ultimately convicted of murdering Ahmad Arbery. We will be starting a new season of Jury Duty on February 28th with our examination of a new trial, and we will have more information about the new season on this podcast feed in the coming days. However, Before we start Jury Duty Season 4, over the next three weeks, we are going to revisit the trial of Robert Durst, which we covered in Seasons 1 and 2 of this podcast. Jury Duty has secured exclusive interviews with two of the jurors who are part of the Los Angeles panel that convicted Robert Durst of the murder of his good friend Susan Berman. We also have other exclusive interviews with key participants in the trial to share with you. And so starting today, we will begin our presentation of those conversations. That's all coming up right after the break.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: The two jurors with whom we have secured interviews are Carmen Clateka and John Okanishi. Jury Duty will present our conversations with these two Durst trial jurors by tracking the panelists' journeys through the trial from jury selection all the way through their deliberations. In this episode, we track their experiences through the jury selection process until the first time that each of these jurors saw Robert Durst. In the second half of this episode, we will hear John Okanishi's experience, but we begin with the Jury Duty interview with Durst juror, Carmen Kliteka. We're joined by Carmen Kliteka, juror number 12 in the People versus Robert Durst trial, and also Carmen was the jury foreperson. Carmen, we so much appreciate your being with us.
2: Hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Carmen, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, whatever you feel comfortable saying?
2: I am a molecular pathologist, and I specialize in oncology, and I help oncologists develop treatments for their patients through the work that I do in in my laboratory by analyzing the genomic material from tumors. And then we use that information to create a personalized treatment for each patient based on those genomic results.
0: Are you a lifelong Angelina? Where are you from? Somewhere else.
2: I've been in Los Angeles for four years. Previously, I was living in New Orleans and I spent six years there. Actually, coincidentally, I was living in New Orleans in 2015 when Robert just was arrested. I was actually working in a hospital less than one mile away from the JW Marriott. However, I had never heard of Robert Durst, and I I didn't hear the news, so I had no idea that this had happened when I received the um, jury summons in October of 2019.
0: Well, will you take us through that process of receiving the summons and going through all of the screening and the voir dire?
2: So I received the summons, and this was the first summons I had ever received to serve on jury duty, so I wasn't sure what to do. I asked a colleague what I I should do. And he said, it's going to be super easy. You just make a phone call on Friday night and they're going to probably tell you, don't worry about it. You don't have to come in. And then that's it. That's your jury duty. So I said, okay. So I did that. I called on Friday and uh, they assigned a, a date for me to come in, which was actually first week of January. And I came in and I filled out a very, very long questionnaire a couple weeks before. And in that questionnaire, they asked a lot of questions about Robert Durst and all the people associated with his case, including victims and, and his lawyers. And since I had never heard of him, it was very easy for me to answer all those questions because it was just no. I felt kind of silly because this case had been widely publicized and I felt kind of silly for not having heard about it in my defense, I am pretty busy with my work at the hospitals.
0: Were there any questions that you vividly remember responding to or reacting to, I should say, when you read them?
2: Well, there were actually several questions relating to the topic of, would you be able to serve on this jury? Would you be comfortable? Do you think you can process this information? And I answered, yes, I can can serve on this jury and I would be an excellent juror. However, I really just don't have the time. I have two kids and a very demanding job. And in my region, I'm the only molecular pathologist. So I don't have somebody to fill the void and, and to take the workload. So I politely you know, stated that I was just simply not available. And then, so another question that they asked was, how do you feel about a defendant taking the stand in his defense in his trial. And I said, well, I think if they are innocent and wrongly accused, I would expect them to want to take the stand to defend themselves. However, as a defense attorney, especially if you think your client is guilty, you should do everything in your power to prevent them from taking the stand, because I can't imagine they would want To lose their case, but I mean I'm not an attorney, but that's just what what was going through my mind.
0: Do you remember a question about if someone dismembered a body, would you hold that against them? And do you remember your response to that question?
2: I probably said, you know, if they're capable of dismembering a body, you have to really uh, wonder about what else they're capable of.
0: So you filled out that questionnaire, and was your Expectation that you wouldn't go any further because you'd answered that question about your availability the way you did.
2: Yes, I expected to not be considered for the jury.
0: And then tell me about the notification to come in for the voir dire.
2: I was very surprised, but I didn't expect that to, you know, take more than a, a couple of weeks because I was going to explain to the judge that I was not available. Not because I didn't want to serve or didn't think this case was interesting, but I had other responsibilities, and I have my patients.
0: Did you get that opportunity to say that to the judge when you went into the court?
2: I did. I I, I wrote a letter, explaining my situation and explaining that there isn't anyone that can take my place. So, and my my laboratory uh, services mm-hmm. the southwestern United States. So there's um there's a lot of people counting on me. So I really I really couldn't do it. And I was sure that once I wrote the letter and explained my situation that I would be let go. But that was not the case, obviously.
0: <laughs> Tell me about the process of the vaudier from your point of view. What do you remember about the presentations that John Lewin and Chip Lewis made? What do you remember about any questions that were asked of you, of your fellow panelists? What are your most vivid memories and distinct memories from that dire process?
2: Well, at the time I was about two weeks away from taking my boards. I have to recertify every 10 years. So I was studying for that like in the hallway and every minute that I could. And so I was a little bit removed from the group of jurors who were waiting in the hallway, and I wasn't able to engage as much as I would have liked. But whenever the session would start, I did make sure to have my full attention and focus on the presentations that the lawyers were giving and the the questions that they were asking the potential jurors. This went on for about a couple weeks, and... I saw most of the group of jurors who had been um, waiting with me in in the hallway, going in, answering um, a couple of questions, and then um, being dismissed. They were asking specific questions like how they feel about a particular thing or their availability is, what, what sort of jury duty policies their work has. Most of the potential jurors actually were let go because their place of employment, did not offer paid leave for jury duty.
0: Did you ever get a response to your letter?
2: I did, yes. I was expecting him to, you know, send me a little message on the side saying, okay, thanks for coming in. See you later. (laughs) But no, actually, I got a response when I was called into the jury box. And I think it was after the Lawyers from both sides had a chance to ask me a couple of questions. He confirmed that he had received my letter. However, he was not going to dismiss me.
0: How did that work for you with respect to the work that you do?
2: I work for a government agency. So we do have a unlimited jury duty policy.
0: And so how were you able to work it out so that you could serve your patients and the other physicians that you consult with and still be able to serve on the jury?
2: Well, I talked with my boss and um, I told her um, what was happening and she was very supportive. We made arrangements for me to continue doing my work and uh, signing out my cases while I was serving on jury duty. And there is another molecular pathologist at Loma Linda, who uh, was able to to help with some of the cases, and he did us a huge favor. So what ended up happening, Carrie, is every day for for lunch, we got an hour and a half for lunch, and I would spend about an hour signing up my cases, sometimes a little bit more. On the days when I would go past my hour, the other jurors who I became a very good friends with, you know, we were kind of like a family, they would actually, like bring me lunch, which was really, really wonderful and um, amazing. And then, so I would I would have my meetings very early. I would come in at 7 a.m. to the, the courthouse, and there was a little spot that they would let me have so I could work. And I, I had meetings and did all sorts of stuff in that little spot until uh, we had to go into the courtroom at 9 or 9.30. And then, Judge Wyndham would give us Fridays off so that we can go back to work or do whatever we had to do. And so I was able to get all my work done with those little two time slots within the, the work days, uh, Monday through Thursday, and then with the full day on Friday. Sometimes I, I would have to come in over the weekend, for like a day, but you know we, we figured it out and uh, my team at work was really helpful and they helped me organize it in a way where I could I could get it done.
0: Going back to the voir dire process, when you finally got into the jury box, do you know how many jurors had already been seated?
2: Well, I was one of the last people to be called. Yeah, I, yeah and I took the number 12 position. I was the last one.
0: What do you remember of the questions that were asked of you directly when you were in the voir dire?
2: Um, I think they asked me something about, you know, what I would think about a, a defendant who chose to take the stand. I don't know. So I said, like, you know, it's their right, I guess, if they want to.
0: In your mind, as you were answering the questions, did it ever occur to you, well, maybe I should answer this in a way that's going to help me get out of this?
2: No, you know, when I answered all of their questions, I was completely honest. I, I said what I felt. And, you know, I explained my situation, and I, I thought that they probably wouldn't want me serving, given my, my work situation and my background. I thought the, the judge probably didn't want me serving because, well, you know, there's like a whole bunch of patients that need me, so I need to get back to work. It's not like I'm just sitting at home waiting for my kids to come back from school or something. And then I thought that the defense probably wouldn't want me on the jury because of my, the work that I do and because I'm, I'm a physician. So, and, and I work with DNA and, and um, I have experience with uh, forensics. So I just didn't think they would want somebody with my background. So I was pretty confident that I would be sent home. I'm not going to be dishonest in answering any, any of these questions ever. That's just not who I am.
0: Do you remember any impressions you had of the prosecutor or the, either the defense attorneys just during that voir dire process before the trial even began?
2: Yes. Well, I got the impression that after that whole, the whole process began, I came to understand that this was a, a very big case and it was uh, multifaceted. And uh complex, and that uh, these people had been spending a long time putting this together, and you know that it was a pretty serious case, and that they were pretty serious about this trial in in their their uh, presentation, and clearly they had a lot of of data to cover. We were told that this was going to be like a five month trial, so I got the impression that. Well, the lead prosecutor and his team were pretty intense and serious guys. Oh, and and um, and they meant uh, business. They came to get the, the job done.
0: And any impressions of the defense during the voir dire portion of the trial?
2: You know, I, I also had a good impression of the defense. I thought that this team had also spent a, a significant amount of time and effort putting a Defense together, and I I remember just having a lot of uh, respect for everyone who was there, and for in respect for all of their um, their effort.
0: And do you remember the first time you saw Robert Durst in the courtroom?
2: I do. Yes, I was like, oh wow, that's Robert Durst. I I was not expecting such a um, he's a very petite man. And he's he's elderly and he was in a wheelchair and and he looked very fragile. I certainly was not expecting any of that. And you know, usually when I walk into a room, I'm the, the most petite person there. And I think actually Robert Durst, the most petite person in the whole courtroom, even though he was a man. So I was very um, surprised. And you know, it's weird because. I heard what he was accused of, and it was difficult to imagine that this very fragile, demure person had possibly uh, committed those crimes.
0: That's interesting. We now present the first part of my interview with John Okanishi, covering his experiences during the jury selection process in the Los Angeles trial of Robert Durst. We're joined now by John Okanishi. John, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you. Glad to participate.
0: Would you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes. I'm a uh, native Angelino, born and raised in uh, Los Angeles. I'm retired, so uh, you know, I had quite a bit of free time to serve as a juror for the uh, length of time that we served. What was
0: your career before you retired?
1: I was in high technology. I was in computer software uh, sales, enterprise software, which is sold to large corporations.
0: Would you tell us about your experience of getting your jury summons and reporting and the early part of the jury selection process as you experienced it?
1: Yes. So this is actually my um, fourth or fifth jury summons. I'm uh, fairly familiar with the uh, jury duty process. I served on um, four trials before, and uh, I've always enjoyed jury duty. I found it very, very interesting. So, you know, when I got the summons to report to the LAX courthouse, I expected it would be just show up for the one day, you know, wait to be called, probably, you know, having it not really, uh, you know, go anywhere. So, but it was very interesting, all the potential jurors, we all filled up a very large room. And again, this was early in 2020. So, Covid was something that you know we were just reading about in the news, something that was going on in, in China. So it really hadn't manifested itself as any kind of threat to public safety in the United States. So we were all in the early part of 2020. We were all in the uh, jury selection room, and then when they were going through the process of selection, you know they wanted to know who had unlimited jury duty time because this could be a very very long trial. So, you know, at that point, that kind of pared down, you know, our numbers. It was either people who I think were retired like myself or who uh were in a capacity that they had unlimited jury duty, you know, federal workers, civil servants. So then they said that there was going to be, I believe it was a 30 page questionnaire that they wanted us to fill out. And then from that standpoint, we would be Called back and then you know interviewed as part of the uh, voir dire process and you know that that was very new to me to have to actually fill out you know a thirty page questionnaire. Can you tell me about that questionnaire? Well, it had a lot of the um, typical questions that I would get you know when I I would go through the initial voir dire, like. Have you ever been, you know, a victim of a a crime? Do you have any, you know, relatives who are uh, in law enforcement? You know, the typical questions. But it also alluded to a very high-profile crime that had gotten a lot of, you know, attention in the media. I found that very interesting only because, you know, I'm a big true crime, you know, film noir fan. So most of the time, if something is sensationalist as, you know, we were getting the expectation, I would have known about it. So I found it very curious that some of the background that they, you know, mentioned that they talked about in the questionnaire was related to a case that I had, you know, no idea what this was. So, uh, yeah, I went ahead and, you know, answered all the questions completely truthfully. You know, I suspect some people, you know, didn't really want to serve on jury duty, at least, you know, I think the initial expectation that they they set for us that this could be a five-month trial. So, you know, I really don't know if I wanted to serve on a five-month trial and I'm sure a lot of other people didn't, even though they had unlimited jury duty time. So I wouldn't I would have expected a lot of people probably answered in a way that they wouldn't be selected. I was completely truthful. I was completely truthful. Uh and I figured, well, you know, hey, if I get selected, I get selected. If I don't, I don't. I'm just, you know, doing my part in the uh process, just uh being completely transparent.
0: Were there any questions that are particularly memorable on that questionnaire? And also can you remember the process by which you answered them? In other words, can you remember how you answered a particular question that struck you as memorable?
1: Yes. Again, this is quite some time ago. So I believe one question that was on the questionnaire versus, you know, it was a in-person question during the voir dire process was. If a person had admitted to dismembering a body, would we automatically assume that, you know, that person is guilty of a first degree murder, you know, when, when accused? I thought that was very, very interesting. And also, you know, again, I go, you know, I don't have any any memory of anything in the news about, you know, someone dismembering a body. So I thought that was very interesting. So I went with the uh, premise that you know all potential jurors jurors are are supposed to uh follow which is you know we just assume someone is innocent until proven guilty and we don't make a decision until we've heard all the facts. So all of my answers you know to the questions were from that perspective. I didn't let any personal feelings, you know, sway me from that, so you know, I, I answered in that way, which is all all very, very uh, truthful.
0: So, tell me about getting the notice to come back for voir dire and what that process was like.
1: Well, I, I certainly expected that I was going to be called back. I found in my jury duty experience, if the both the defense and prosecution are selecting someone who's familiar with the process and served on a jury where, you know, they actually came to a decision, then that really increases the chances of being selected. It's like, you know, one time you've you've served on a jury, I think the likelihood increases each and every time you get called back again. And, you know, I didn't think this would be any different. So I fully, you know, expected at some point I was going to be selected and, you know, interviewed in person. Now, The amount of jurors that they were going to have to select from was, you know, a lot more than your typical, uh, you know, shorter term trial, which would be, you know, about two weeks. So they actually selected twice the number of jurors, meaning the initial 12, but they also had, you know, 12 alternates. So from the pool that they interviewed from, they said it would actually take, you know, several weeks for the voir dire process to happen. In fact, we wouldn't all be called back together, not, you know, all the prospective jurors, but they would go through us in separate sessions. From memory, I think the the whole, you know, process by which we were called back, which was several weeks, maybe even over a month from when we, um, you know, answered the questionnaire The the voir dire process was, you know, several weeks in itself. So from the time that we, you know, showed up on that very first day, you know, to the uh, point where, uh, you know, the actual jury was selected and the trial began, I mean, that was, must have been about a couple months uh, length in time, if, you know, I'm recalling it correctly. It wasn't, you know, your typical uh, jury duty where, you know, you show up on that first day and then you're, you're jumping right into the trial, you know, a week or so later.
0: Tell me about that day that you went to the courthouse for the first day of your voir dire experience.
1: Well, you know, they, uh, they asked the, you know, the typical um, questions. Have you ever been a victim of tr- of crime? Do you have any, you know, relatives in, in law enforcement? But then, you know, they, they got into a little bit more, um, you know, specifics about, you know, what the case was. I was actually kind of surprised the level of detail that, you know, they got into just about just during voir dire. And as I recall, you know, they actually talked about the documentary, uh, the HBO uh, miniseries documentary, The Jinx, which went into detail, you know, of this of this case. Now, I had never even heard of that documentary. I'm not an HBO uh, subscriber, but I do recall that there were, you know, several people from the selection pool that, you know, I was watching them being interviewed that had seen it. And the thing that was the most interesting to me to this process is a couple of jurors actually said, oh, you know what, I, I've actually seen that, that miniseries, does that automatically exclude me? You know, I think they were hoping it would, uh, where, you know, the judge says, says, no, 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 That that's okay, if you've seen it. I mean, we're actually going to uh, watch excerpts of it which turned out to be unedited versions as part of the trial. So I thought that was quite surprising. Uh, One question that I did answer was that I noticed they asked me a lot of questions that they didn't ask the other jurors was my experience with firearms. You know, they wanted to know how familiar I was with them, you know, how often I shot.
0: And how did you answer that?
1: You know, I said, uh, have a a general... um, Familiarity, and you know, I own firearms, and uh, you know, I would. I'm a recreational shooter, so I might, you know, shoot, you know, every couple of of months. Uh, you know, I thought that was interesting, but you know, obviously, you know, the case had to do with uh, murders that were committed by firearms. Where were
0: you in the pool? Were you in the the first pool of jurors called? I guess you were juror number two, so you must have been. Placed on the pool relatively early in the
1: trial. No, actually not. Actually not. I think I was in the second round of people that they uh, interviewed. And initially, when I got selected, I was alternate number four, I believe. And as it turned out, you know, as we resumed the uh, trial in twenty twenty one, I was still an alternate but because after uh you know covid when the covid happened and we all returned after our over one year um recess you know there several people uh you know had had to drop out which bumped me up even higher and then as we got further into the uh the trial another one of the main jurors uh, had to bow out so that you know juror number who was juror number 2 uh so I got kicked up to be juror number 2
0: i'm going to return to that in your experience of being selected initially as an alternate juror in a little bit. But I want to ask, during the voir dire process, what were your impressions of the lawyers that questioned you or that you saw questioning people during that process?
1: During the voir dire, there was nothing specific that really made an impression on me as far as, you know, uh, distinguishing between the, um, you know, the defense and the prosecution as to, you know, who they were selecting. I I think, you know, they wanted, the defense obviously wanted to make sure that even though, you know, the the person on trial had admitted to uh, other crimes, such as, you know, dismembering a body, whether or not that would, you know, prejudice the juror. I thought that was, again, I thought that was a very interesting uh, question. But, uh, you know, at that early stage, there was nothing other than that, that I thought was especially um, different.
0: When you were placed on the panel as an alternate, how did you feel about that?
1: Well, I was alternate number um, four. So I thought the likelihood that you know, I would probably make the main jury was pretty good, you know, considering it was a five month, you know, trial and, or it was expected to be a five month trial. So the likelihood of somebody, uh, you know, four more people dropping out was uh, quite high during the whole service. And it's interesting that a lot of other um, alternate jurors felt this way, but, you know, if we're going to spend five months of our time, you know, listening, you know, to all the evidence, you know, a lot of us, several of, of the alternates, you know, really wanted, you know, if we're going to spend or invest that much time, you know, we want to be, you know, part of the uh, the main event. When we learned what the, what the details of the trial were, and, you know, how much, you know, media attention was on this, uh, with the HBO documentary, you know, the facts of the uh, the case where a theatrical movie you know once we're hearing about all this it's it's kind of like you know the super bowl of high profile murders and if we're going to be on the uh, on the team or at least on the jury you know we don't want to we don't want to sit out the super bowl sitting on the bench you know we want to be in there as part of the team and you know discussing what you know our feelings are you know based upon the evidence and uh that's the way I felt. And certainly there were uh, several other, you know, alternates that very much, you know, felt the same way.
0: Can you tell us about the moment you found out that you were moving from being an alternate to becoming juror number two?
1: Yes. From the very, uh, you know, beginning. You know, when uh, we learned the length of what this trial would be, uh, the expectations were said it was going to be five months. It you know turned out to be eighteen weeks, well probably more than that if you factor in the uh, the previous year in which we started. But my feeling was if I'm gonna invest this much time you know serving on a jury, I actually want to be on the uh, on the final uh, jury panel. I was initially altered it, I believe number four. And when we came back uh, after our uh, break, our recess for COVID, I had bumped up to uh, number two or number one. So I was so very, very close, uh, you know, to being on the jury, you know, unlike some of the alternates, which were, you know, so far down. I mean, there were there was initially 12 alternates that we started with. I mean, some of the the alternates knew that, you know, it was very unlikely that they were going to be on the jury, but I was actually you know, so very, very close. So there was a lot of anticipation as to whether I was going to make the final cut. And I believe it was 14 of the 18 weeks in something like that, that uh, one of the uh, main jurors uh, had to uh, excuse himself for a upcoming um, uh, wedding, you know, he's getting married, I, that I took his place as juror number two. How did you find out? You know, the one juror that, um, whose place I took, you know, wasn't there that day, wasn't in the jury room and they called us all in. And, you know, we knew that he had plans to get married and the, uh, the judge had told them that, you know, he expected the, the trial to be over before, uh, before his wedding. But, you know, this thing was, was stretching out. So, uh, you know, we knew that if it got to a certain point, uh, they were going to cut that juror loose. So when we, uh, gathered in the room and he wasn't there, but they, that they called us in anyways, you know, then I knew for sure that I was going to be bumped up. And then the bailiff just just said, hey, uh, go, you know, go sit in that chair number two. So that's what I did. I, I didn't, I don't recall the judge actually formally acknowledging that.
0: Were you the last juror to get bumped up from alternate to main jury? Yes, I was the last juror. Do you remember the first time you saw Robert Durst?
1: I do remember the first time I saw Robert Durst.
0: Can you tell me about your initial
1: impressions? He looked like a um, you know, very frail, weak, old man who, you know, I even questioned if it, all his mental faculties were even there. He almost looked like, you know, he was senile. As we got further into the trial. And we got a sense of how long this would, you know, go on. You know, some of us, you know, thought, gosh, is he even going to survive to see, you know, the end of the trial? That's how bad he looked.
0: That concludes this special episode of Jury Duty. Join us in our next episode as we hear from Carmen and John about their experiences during the early days of the trial of Robert Durst, including the initial opening statements.
1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Tholis. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Terracon. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.